Hi, this is Michael Groom, a.k.a. your podcast professor, and this is another week of the Heat podcast. I would like to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. I thank you for, you know, just continue just to be in a listening ear because I got I got some good good stuff this week. I got some fire. So without further ado, let's go and get started. OK, the the book that I read this week was called Sister Citizen, and it's by Dr. Melissa Harris Perry. And she pretty much discusses about what uh, African-American women, what black women go through, talk about their plight, their struggle, the things that they experience and the stereotypes and myths about black women collectively and African-American women. Um, she basically says they embody struggle that's fully of recognition. Um, what I got from that is that black women feel as if they have to struggle in order to get recognized within our society. And unfortunately, I think in some cases that that has a lot of truth to it, that black women have to always go through struggle just to get recognized. I give you an example of what some black women do when they apply for grad school. And I seen this on Twitter and it, it went kind of viral. Um, I pretty much saw that when they apply for um, grad graduate school, they would, you know, because, you know, applying for grad school, you know, you got to do essays and things like that. And when they apply for the essay, um, they always say like what they went through and what how they struggled and they come from a low income neighborhood and they poor and this, that, and the third and how they grew up. And that's basically telling white people that they got to empathize with us because we struggle and we got to be recognized for our struggle. And it's said that black women do this more than any other uh, ethnicity or, and, and also by gender. And I feel like black women collectively have to feel as if in order to get recognized, you have to embrace struggle. And I don't feel like black women should have to do that because they should get recognized for the person that they are and not exactly embodying struggle. Um, another thing is that um, black women have to explore often unspoken experiences of hurt, rejection, faith, and search for their own identity. And I feel like, I feel as if black women, they do have to have unspoken experiences of that just because they feel collectively that we don't care. Collectively, we don't care about their plight. We don't care about their struggle. We don't care about their misrepresentation. I feel as if they... They don't, they don't, you know, they want, they want us to know, they want to tell us, but they feel like subconsciously we don't care. And what I learned is that when you don't care about, when someone, you know, don't care about something, you're not going to be vocal about it. You're not going to say nothing about it because you're going to feel like it's hot air and it's a complete waste of time. And I feel like that's a lot, a lot of black women, how they feel. And they just keep it to themselves and just keep it bottled in. And that could be months, weeks years, decades even. So it really just depends. But they collectively have unspoken experiences of hurt, rejection, faith, and search for identity. This book also does a lot of references to Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Are Watching God. If you don't know, that's a that's a very, very famous book. I actually had to read that book when I was in college in my African American literature class. I really liked that book. It gave me a lot of insights about what black women experience and, you know, their mindset. Because um, this book was written 
during the segregation Jim Crow era. And it's a famous quote on there that I really, really liked. And I like it for the reason that it has truth to it. And it's unfortunate. But the the quote is that black women are the mule of the world. And I was like, wow, like I I really can see some truth in that because black women feel uh, I think black women are considered overworked. They put everything on their back and they do everything that they can. And they just work and work and work and work and, and pretty much until they collapse. And, you know, mules are work until they collapse and they're used just for labor. They use, you know, they might be mental labor, they might be physical labor, and no one cares about the mule. No one likes mules like that, except for the ability for them to work. And I think Zora Neale Hurston, just like black women today, the character that was in that book, Dear Eyes of Watching God, she, um, the character in that book refused to accept that role of being the mule of the world. And I feel like that's completely, you know, I can understand that. I can understand how black women will feel that they refuse to accept their role. I think I definitely black women today, they will refuse to accept that role. And I completely understand that. You know, I don't feel like black women should be used like mules. They should be taken advantage of like a mule. They're overworked just like a mule. They should not have, they should not be mules. Like black women weren't created to be mules. Oh, but this society has put in black women that they are the mule of the world. And that's really, really unfortunate that black women have to actually go through that kind of experience. Um, another thing is that um, the um, in the book there I was watching God, there was a storm that was in the book. And this storm is very similar to what happened. Uh, she relates the book, that part of the book to... Hurricane Katrina. Well, the author does. She relates the book to the storm in the book to Hurricane Katrina. And if you don't know Hurricane Katrina, that happened in New Orleans in August of 2005. I mean, I think everybody collectively knows what happened with Hurricane Katrina. And with the book, just like what happened in Hurricane Katrina in real life, that the people with resources, they were able to leave. They was able to go. And just because, you know, they had the money or they had to travel to go. But the rest had to stay. The rest... Oh, excuse me. The rest had to stay put because when you poor, when you got no money, you don't have no resources, no assets. Where are you going? Where are you really going to go? So you had no choice but to stay there. And when, you know, it was a lot of flooding, um, you know, it was a very, very devastating storm. A lot of people died in it. It was just really, 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 really bad. And black men in were considered criminals but they really help with the relief efforts and that's the stuff they don't want to tell you but that goes to that label that black men are considered criminals they're considered you know murderers they're considered rapists they consider you know the worst of what society is and that wasn't the truth and the eye on you know the main thing about hurricane katrina is that the um a lot of people wasn't like looting and stuff like that. And I always said it like this. If you put someone in a tight situation and they see availability to go to a store and see a store and it's open or no one's there and there's a bunch of food and you got a family, 
and your kids are starving, what you're going to do? As my mom used to say, you either got a barbecue or you got a mildew. So what you're going to do? Me personally, I'm going to do whatever I got to do to take care of my family. So I'm going to break into that store, get some food, and come up out of there. My family got to eat. You know what I'm saying? My family got to eat. So I don't know why they got... And then they had paramilitary organizations actually going down there and shooting black people up. A lot of black people died because they was getting shot. They ain't going to tell you that part. And it was small paramilitary organizations and it was some National Guards that was sniping black people coming out of the stores. But white people was looting also. White people was breaking in to get food also because it's a survival tactic. You got to survive out there. If And it's kind of the government's fault just because the government and the president, they ain't even do anything actively until several days later. They weren't doing anything down there. And when you put people in a desperate situation, it's sink or swim. Survive or die. You know what I'm saying? So I believe that's the reason why a lot of, you know, a lot of people, you know, got killed down there. You know, of course, they got killed from the drowning and, you know, things like that. But a lot of them was getting shot up because we're always viewed as criminals. We're always viewed as being as being that type of person. And we collectively know that that's generally not that's not fair. It's not right to kill people just because of what you think of your mindset that's not right it's not it's not going to benefit anybody and black women was you know they witnessed that you know they witnessed you know going through all this stuff because they had to survive the three main stereotypes pretty much are according to the book the mammy the jezebel and the sapphire stereotype so women are either viewed to be promiscuous asexual or pretty much the um the angry black woman and the characterizations is hypersexuality being a mammy or having emasculated anger and we really need to understand black women's plight and what they go through and also what they experience and it's a quote by um bell hooks i believe she's a um she's a feminist and also she's an author and she says that looking at individuals from marginal groups infuses power to be a person of relative power and privilege, viewing a person of less power and privilege is a political act. Now, we just talked about politics earlier, and I think this is the thing that black women go through, that white men and white women look at black women collectively that way. It's a political act, and it's basically asserting their own power. It's like flexing their muscles in a sense. And... One example that they use as a political act is um, giving black women fears, rational fears of perception. So I give you an example that was in the book. It was a um, tenure professor. She had two strokes and had to still teach. And now if you have a, now if people know you have a, a, a stroke and you're not 100%, you know, you might have slurred speech. Uh, you may be disabled after that, you know, strokes or a toss up of what, you, you know, what I'm saying what you go through. And so she had um, multiple strokes and she had to still teach. And I think the basis of it, the fear was she didn't want to be the welfare queen. She wanted to be considered the welfare queen stereotype, basically asking for a handout and didn't deserve it. She didn't want to go through that. So she just taught all she just still she was still teaching, although 
she wasn't even physically she wasn't physically you know able to teach like that but she still had to do it and white people have basically tried to put that fear upon us that we have to act a certain way or be a certain way although we're still going through something and unfortunately that's how white people throw their power and privilege around white women are you know they in poverty they get you know welfare and things like that but they don't get that stereotype but a prominent black woman didn't want to go didn't want to have that stereotype and she's a tenured professor making six figures probably and she still has that rational fear of being a welfare queen so it lets you know the power of privilege of of america and of how we are and also um the author basically talks about also a myth of promiscuity and it's basically um for example um when um r kelly when he had that you know had that sex tape and basically they blame the girl being promiscuous than him actually being a pedophile because he was i think he was in his 30s at the time and the girl was 15. But they blame the girl, saying that she should have been promiscuous, being you know whatever like that. And um, uh, Mike Tyson was another example when um, um, he got convicted of rape and actually had to spend you know some time in prison. And everyone was blaming the woman, basically saying he sh she shouldn't have went up to the hotel, she shouldn't have accepted his advances, like she asked to be raped, like she asked for it, and um. And these roots actually go back to Southern slaveholding society. Back in slavery, um, black women were considered promiscuous and things like that. So ba it basically justified them getting raped. It was the you know it was the justification of them getting insulted and raped. And this was an anti-Victorian ideal of promiscuity um, back back in those days. Um, you don't know anything about um, a Victorian ideal. It's basically to be classy, to not give yourself away, to not have multiple partners. You're supposed to be a virgin till you're married. You know, it, it's that thing. And black women actually didn't have the right to have the Victorian ideal. For one, they wasn't even considered human beings. Number two, they was you know of the they was a product of their master. They was a, you know they was they was not they was not legal citizens so they was treated any kind of way so they was already eliminated from having a victorian ideal just because of who they were as black women in slavery and this vulnerability actually led black women to hide their authentic selves which made them uh, which could have made them asexual you know what i'm saying so you know that vulnerability they basically had to hide their authentic selves of sexuality and I believe today that is still going through because black women probably collectively still feel vulnerable. I mean, some don't, but I think for the most part, they still do. They still feel like they have to hide their authentic selves um, from a sexual sense because they don't want to be considered, you know, promiscuous or they don't want to be considered, a, you know, a whole or they don't want to be considered loose or fast because I know back in the day, um, you know, when I was a kid, they used to say like, um, you don't want to be talking to no fast girls, and you know, you know what I'm saying. And they always had you know names for them. They had you know call them whole, um, chicken head. That was like common perceptions back then. And black women didn't want to be part of this stereotype, so they just had general vulnerability. They made themselves asexual subconsciously in order to not be a part of that label.
and hip hop promoting hypersexual image of images of women does not help. I'm not saying all hip hop artists do it, but most hip hop artists, you know, they 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 promote their hypersexual their hypersexuality. And that's something black women should not be going through or should be experiencing. And I feel like if they put it out there, they feel as if they have to do it in order to get validation for themselves. Or they do the polar opposite. They they hide themselves. Oh, excuse me. They hide themselves so they won't be a part of that label. Now the next one I'm going to talk about is um the mammy. Um, the mammy was pretty much viewed as a traitor. She was viewed as you know as a yeah pretty much as a traitor. That she would rather be under white people and serve them heavily and talk down to black people or would ignore black people. Um, an example of this is when. I remember when Hillary Clinton's getting ready to be president the first time, not 2016, but back in um, 2008. And um, black women had an issue because um, you was considered a traitor if you voted for Hillary more than Barack Obama. Barack Obama, you know, he was black, but Hillary was a woman. And so people felt like if you was more focused on Hillary than Barack, basically you was considered a traitor just because you would rather support a woman than a black person. And that's a dilemma black women was going through during the time. I didn't realize it until I read this book, but I can really see a lot of truth in it, especially during that time. That would be a hard dilemma for black women to go through, you know? And that's the you know that's the crazy part of what you know the the mammy is known for, and so a lot of um, women in black women in politics was considered mammies because they supported Hillary more than Barack, and I'm glad the book basically reiterated it just because I didn't that's something I didn't know, and maybe that's something that you know that you can realize now back then, um, that was really that was a really you know crucial moment, and. Black women got this stereotype, and I feel like they shouldn't have got this stereotype. Like, you could support a woman more than a black person and not be considered a mammy. But that's a stereotype that was thrown at black women that did it at the time. Um, one way black women um, used to help their daughters, because, you know, black women have daughters. They had they, they try to help their daughters stand straight sooner in the cricket rooms by telling them inspiring stories. They're telling them inspiring stories about black women. And they have like fit, uh, fictive kinship ties. Fictive kinship ties are connection between members of a group who are unrelated by slave, by, by, um, by social economic relationships, by sharing social economic relationships, I should say. So um, they always have like, they always tell black girls inspiring stories about great black women. You know what I'm saying? Like Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks, now Michelle Obama. Um, Maxine Waters, uh, Oprah, I mean, I can keep going, but they tell their daughters inspiring stories to help them stand straight in the crooked room even faster. And I'm glad the author reiterated that just because that's something that we should do. We should give our kids inspiring stories so that they ain't got to, you know, they ain't got to accept the stereotypes that are given to them throughout our society. The next thing the so author I believe talks about in... In the book, it's basically talking about how black women have to deal with shame. And shame creates a flight or fight response. Basically, you know what I'm saying? Sink or swim. 
and they um, she feels that that's something black women have to experience. They have to experience shame, and this kind of sh uh, and shame um, is researched to lead to um, you know weight gain, heart disease, hardening of the arteries, and decreased immune function. So basically, shame creates a lot of stress. It creates a lot of you know a lot of things that create health pro health problems and they may be the reason why black women go through health problems just because they're harboring all of this stuff inside of them and honestly i believe that that's not right and that's not that's not it's not fair it's not right and i feel like we should empathize more with black women that they don't have to be they should not be ashamed that's the problem black women should not be ashamed you know within this country or within themselves they shouldn't have to be shamed at all and that's the thing about racism and according to the book the author basically says racism is the act of shaming others based upon identity and it creates being an outcast and being defective and i really believe that's what black women feel they feel as if they're outcasted and they're defective and i used to hear that a lot i used to hear black women say that like they feel defective like they feel like they can't be what they want to be or what they should be or what they already are they feel like they are outcasted automatically just because they're a woman and also just because they're black and i always said this about black men and black women and black men we got to face the socioeconomic problem and the race problem black women has to face the race problem the socioeconomic problem and the gender problem because even within our communities there's still sexism there's still sexism within our community and everybody everybody know more than anything that we got to do that that they i mean not we got to do it but it's unfortunately that it happens like you know it was a lot of sexism and i give you an example um the black panthers the black panthers there was a lot of um sexism in it um, they felt like women should not have certain roles in the party. And women was the ones that was doing damage to the Black Panther Party. They was the one putting in work. I always said this, women are the backbone of society. And in the household, the black woman is the backbone in the household. And the man just got the title. But the women are the ones putting in the work. They're the ones that make everything is everything is good. It's kind of like... It's kind of like the, it's like the, it's like the player and the coach. It's kind of like the player gets all the credit, but the coach is the one that's doing all the work. So that's pretty much what it's like. Like black women are the ones that's putting the work in the black household, and the man just getting the title for it. And I feel like it, it can it can be a clash or it can be a power struggle sometimes, especially when the woman feels as if. You know, um, when she wants the title and she wants the backbone, you know, and she wants, you know, the backbone, the, you know, the groundwork. I mean, but I mean, honestly, she deserves it. She deserves to have all of that. You know, she deserves to have the title. But we live in patriarchal society. So men get the title and not women. And I feel like with a lot of black women, that's a problem. But I feel like that should be discussed depending on your relationship and I feel as if, if y'all can, you know, black men, black women, they should be able to work together on that and not 
be in competition with each other. And that's the problem that we have with sexism within the black community is that it's a lot of competition between men and women. And I feel as if they really need to come together. You know what I'm saying? They really need to come together for that. Um, the author basically says that black women also should not feel shame. Um, when black women are actually virtuous to me, although the fabric of America doesn't think so. And I'll be, I'll be, I'll be here to say, just fuck what they think. You know, forget what they think about it, uh, black women, because I don't feel that way. You know, forget what they feel. If they feel some type of way about black women, hey, that's on them. That's on them to feel that way. But we're not going to be able to forcefully change the fabric of how America feels. Us, I feel like as I, I feel like as a black man, I feel like we should tell our black women that they're virtuous. Tell our black women that they are wonderful people, that they're amazing, that they're beautiful, that they're special. I feel like we should tell our women that. We should give them, we should help them with their virtuosity. I don't think that, I don't know if it's a word or not, but we will go with it. But I feel like we should, you know, help our black women be virtuous because they are. And we should help them get it out of them. Although America fabric doesn't think so. Um, there also could be um, certain racial strategies for resistance shame. And one, one strategy that's really poor is withdrawing from blackness. A lot of people try to, you know, withdraw from being black. And that's not going to help you being, it's not going to help you resist shame. Like you can't get rid of the fact that you're black. You wear your blackness every single day of your life. Every single day you're black until you die. And when you die, you're black. You're darkening what you are now. That's why white people have funerals so quick. <laughs> I mean, it's probably, I mean, they do darken up once they die. So, I mean, that is true, but all I'm saying is that you cannot run away from being black. You cannot dodge being black. You see that a lot in our society that, that a lot of black women try to dodge the fact that they're black. And this is why sometimes, I'm not going to say all the time, this is why interracial relationships are sometimes hot to some black women because they feel as if my child won't have to go through what I experienced because they're going to be a little bit whiter. And I'm going to make sure that they get whiter as the generations pass so they would eliminate their blackness. That's why bleaching is popular. This is why not discussing rhetoric related to black people is popular. This is why a lot of this stuff is going on, because a lot of people want to escape from being black. And the author basically reiterates that black women sometimes want to escape from blackness because I just believe it's just, you know, for some, it's just too hard, too difficult. You know, it's hard to be black in this society. It's always been hard to be black. Every generation, I ain't going to say it gets better or worse, but I mean, we still had the difficulty, you know, accepting our blackness just because of all we go through. But on to the next. Um, another thing that, well, you know, they created a lot of shame within the black community was um, the Duke lacrosse case. Now, I know the Duke lacrosse case because it was all over Sports Center. And anybody that knows me, I'm a big sports guy. So the Duke lacrosse case, it was by email. And um, physical and DNA evidence was pretty much clear. And um, it cleared the guys out. But the email was basically saying they was going to do something to her. If you don't know about the Duke Lacrosse case, it was basically about a um, black woman. She was a stripper. She went over there to you know, entertain some white guys on the Duke Lacrosse team. And she basically said that she got raped by these guys. 
And the email kind of confirms saying that um, they was going to do something to her later on. But the physical and the evidence was clear. They was basically said that they was not, you know, they didn't, they didn't rape her. And then they basically tried to shame the black woman by saying she had a history of drug use, promiscuity, and mental health issues. And so basically that case got thrown out the water. Now these guys actually had to serve a little bit of prison time and they was convicted, you know, convicted to being guilty. And according to the author, Americans cared more about this Duke case more than Katrina. You know why? Because white men was getting accused of something. And I think this goes back into that society of how white men treated black women. That, that really goes back to that. That reinforced that stereotype. And America's, you know, it, just, it was just very unfair. And it just really went back to that stereotype. Also, um, silence. Silence. Uh, women got silent. Black women got silenced and shamed who defended this lady, defended that lady that, you know, they got allegedly raped. Um, they silenced, they silenced them. Like, um, the, um, black feminist that was at Duke university, one of the professors, uh, two of the professors that was feminist at Duke, they basically shamed them to the ground. And that's unfortunate just because all they did was tell, they basically had the case out there and they was given the history. Black women can't even support each other because of someone, you know, falsifying, you know, the case. But I do believe that although someone falsified a case, you can still defend that person because even if that person lied, it's not the responsibility of other people. Like, that person messed up. And black women were continuously attacked for just supporting her. And they was, they was, um, even even after <clears throat> excuse me, even after the case was completely, even before the case was even found out that they didn't even do it, black women were still silenced and shamed, and I think that goes back to the Jezebel myth that was discussed earlier. Black women are described are described to be stereotypically promiscuous and hypersexual, and so. This woman was viewed as someone that was, in quote, a Jezebel. And so I, any black woman that defended that, basically, they was considered Jezebels themselves. And that's just a fabric of American society of black women being misrepresented. And that is the craziest part of that whole case. That case basically described that black women still get misrepresented, still get um, a form of degraded and always subject to myths that white people have created and um, I, uh, I'm gonna go back to the strong black woman because the author basically you know goes back to it and she did a survey and the survey was a comparison with the description of themselves black women black men I mean themselves black men white women and white men and when they, um, she said, describe strong what race it is, and strong describes black women. But also, that myth of being a strong black woman makes them sicker, less satisfied, and more burdened than any other group. Now, I really believe that has a lot of truth to it. Black women do feel 
like they have to be super strong and they can't have weak moments. They can have weak moments. It's okay to have weak moments. They need weak moments. This is why they need the support of their man, whoever they're with, their family, their friends. They need their overall support. Ask them, are they okay? Ask them, do they need anything? They need that same energy that they give to you. They need it. They need, they need it just as important as everybody else. So, recognize a sister today. Let them know, do they need anything or anything like that. That's going to help them. Because they, they look, they make, their health is affected. They're not satisfied in their life. And they're super burdened. Because they got to carry all of that strength. Like Zora Neale Hurston says, that they're the mules of, the, they're the mules of America. They're the mules. You're treating them like a mule if you don't make sure they're okay and making sure they're satisfied in every way and helping with their health. And uh, the author also talks about God, talks about how how God is to black women. And the author compared black women to the story of Hagar. And if you don't know who Hagar is, Hagar is the mate was the maid servant to Abraham. I'm about to, dang, I'm about to say Jacob. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm I'm a little a little less of the Bible knowledge. I ain't really been to Sunday school in a long time. But uh, it's basically focused on the story of Hagar. And Hagar basically um, was, you know, was the maidservant to Abraham. And at the time, Sarah and Abraham couldn't have children. And so the um, so Sarah was like, man, I'm going to just put matters into my own hands. And so she told um, Abraham that... Oh, excuse me. That you could just have my maidservant, Hagar. And so Abraham had, you know, slept with Hagar and they had um, their child, Ishmael. And they had Ishmael raising them and stuff like that. And then, as you know, um, Sarah ended up having Isaac. Now, now we're in an ironic situation because, you know, back in them days, the oldest gets the lion's share of the inheritance, and the younger one doesn't. But Isaac was considered the promised child. So what Sarah did was she casted Hagar and Ishmael out. Casting them out, they had to leave that little area or whatever like that out of Abraham's protection. And there was nothing Abraham can do about it. He cast her out. And Abraham was the one that told Hagar that she had to go. But it was Sarah was the one, she was the mastermind behind it. And so Hagar and Ishmael was casted out, basically so that Isaac can get the inheritance. He was God's promised child anyway. But she got sent out, and basically um, God still looked out for Ishmael and looked out for Sarah. Still protected them, still sheltered them, and they created their own nation. Now, it's said that um, the Islamic um, religion is based upon Sarah and Ishmael. They was the, they was the, um, cause you know how Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's linked to Judaism and Christianity. But they saying Ishmael, uh, Abraham and Ishmael was the carrier of the Islamic religion. So basically, Overall, God still looked out for Hagar and Ishmael, although they was casted out from where they was originally from. And the author basically saying that's very comparative to how black women are because they have that relationship 
with God the same relationship Hagar had. All they did was cast it out, mistreated, treated any kind of way. They still was protected by God and was they were still able to have their own and create their own. So the author, I think the author did a really good job when it came to comparing that. Unfortunately, I have to agree with it because black women are treated any kind of way in this country, but the Hagar comparison was a pretty, that was a pretty accurate one, accurate one. And the last part that the author discussed was about Michelle Obama. And basically Michelle Obama defied stereotypes. And Michelle Obama was basically, she had to address all of those issues of being the angry black woman, the not being a mammy. So she cared more about her. She wanted to be more of a mother than anything else. And a lot of people, some feminists felt some type of way about that. They felt as if she shouldn't have done that. She should have been, you know, you know, black power and you know, don't be domesticated and stuff like that. But I think she defied the stereotype of being mammy because instead of caring about the little white kids in the country, she cared about her own, which I admire. She defied the stereotype of being an angry black woman just because her and her husband, I think they, her and Barack, I think they compromise on a lot of stuff. They work together. They're not against each other. And I don't think every black woman is the angry black woman, but that's the perception that white people give us every time a black woman stands up for herself. Every time she stands up for herself, she got to be angry. White women stand up for herself. It's feminism. Like, you see the difference? You see the difference of what they do and how they portray us? This is exactly what they do. They basically say, oh, um, white women, when they stand up for themselves, it's cool, it's righteous, it's, you know, it's, it's feminism, it gets a pass. But when a black woman does the exact same thing, she's angry. You see how the perception of what they do within the society, they always make the black woman angry when we stand up for ourselves, when she stand up for herself. And we know that's not right. It's not right that women, black women have to always be labeled as angry. And she also defied the stereotype of being a Jezebel because um, she got married and she had kids after marriage. And I'm not saying what she did was like, hundred percent like oh this is the way you should be but she had to straighten herself up in the crooked room and that's exactly what she did and this is why black women now is going to look at Michelle and be like this is what you could be this is you know this is admirable this is a hero right here she is Ivy League educated actually she's the first lady in history to have two Ivy League degrees she stands by her man she's supportive She's intelligent. She, you know, she's well-rounded, well-versed. She's a great mother, great wife. So I believe that that is something that is that that's admired. That's something greatly admired. And this is why Michelle Obama is in a pedestal to a lot of black women because that is what everyone aspires to be. But all she did was straighten herself up in a room that was crooked to the best of her ability. And I believe that she did a great job. Overall, I really do believe that this was a great book. Um, I really do believe that, you know, this is a book that people should read. Um, black men and black women, especially um, for black women. I feel like this is something that this is something that you could um, that you can apply, apply to your life. Um, I believe that. <clears throat> Excuse me. I believe that a lot of stuff in this book that you can relate to, 
that you can understand and that's something you can grow from it. And for black men, I really encourage you to read this book just because now you will get a piece of what black women experience. You get a piece of what they go through in their life. You get a piece of what they're having to deal with every day. And now it should be a little you should be more empathetic, show some more empathy, care more about our black women and what they're going through and what they're experiencing. I really do believe that you should care. You should care a little you should care more. You should care more about what they're doing and what they're dealing with. And unfortunately, we have to have books like this to address the issues of the misrepresentation and the plight of what black women go through just because the country is not going to do it. The media is not going to do it. But this book, Sister Citizen, this is a very good book. Is, you know, this is something that because I learned a lot from this book. I learned about, you know, stereotypes and um, them being them having feel like they have to be strong, signifying their strength to defy stereotypes and all this kind of stuff. I always focus on a black male perspective about stereotypes, but I never focus on the black woman's perspective about stereotypes and what they go through and what they experience and how society treats them. I always focus on how the black man is mistreated. I guess I'm biased because I'm a man myself. I never care to think about what black women went through. And so that's pretty much um that's pretty much my spill about this book. That's pretty much um generally what I wanted to talk about with the book. Um it's a very good book. I should check it out. Um you can probably get it on Amazon or you know, online, some online source you can get it from. So it should be an easy find. Um, but I do recommend this book. Um, next week, I'm going to do another book. Um, I believe the book I'm going to do next week is called Martin and Malcolm in America, A Dream or a Nightmare. It's by James H. Cone. And I believe that's the next book I'm going to do. So be on the lookout for that. I will be posting about that episode, you know, about the next episode this week. So y'all should take a good look at it. So if it's any book that y'all want me to read, I would read it for you and give you, you know, the whole summary about it and what I what I think about it. You know, my, my viewpoints about the book. Like I want this podcast to be an educational based podcast based upon books that are you know books that's about us for us with us and give perspectives and dialogue about the books that we read because black people are known stereotypically for not reading and not attaining knowledge so i just want to give you a you know we know that's not true we're going to defy that stereotype and we're not going to focus on getting a white man's approval we're going to get our own approval. We need to work within ourselves, and you know, you know, consider this a, a, a audio version of a book club. <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. So, if there's any books that you want me to, you know, to give a summary about, or give some analysis about, or dialogue about, just let me know. Just write in the comments, on send me a DM or anything like that. So. Um, that's pretty much going to be um, a wrap for this week's episode. Um, make sure you subscribe to the Heat Podcast. It will be on iTunes. It's on I think it's Spreaker. I think that's what it is. Spreaker. It's on SoundCloud. 
Um, I, I will also put these um I, I can also, you know, put this on YouTube so that um, if you don't have none of those, you can just check it out on YouTube. And that's pretty much it. Um, make sure you follow me because I, I post content all the time that's educationally based. Um, our, our version of education because I mainly focus on sociology and black history. Those are my big two. So you can follow me on Instagram, Michael Broom Senior. You can follow me on Twitter, which is Influential Man. It's Influential underscore Man. Um, you can follow me on, you know, like like or add me on Facebook, Michael Broom Senior. And that's pretty much it. So I hope y'all enjoyed this week. I'll talk to you guys soon. And uh, once again, y'all enjoy your week and keep striving.